Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. You know, I remember putting out a post on Facebook some years ago and I said, you know, you can be a Christian and not go to church just like you can be alive and be underwater for about four minutes. So those two things can coexist for a very short amount of time. So it is possible to be a Christian and not go to church, just like it's possible to be underwater and still be alive. But the truth is, the longer you're underwater, the less likely you are to survive. And the truth is, the less you are in the house of God and in community, the less likely you are to survive as a Christian because God made it this way And what you need to know is that Jesus didn't just die for your sin individually. He died to create the mechanism of grace for non-Jewish Christians, and that is the church. It started when Jesus rose from the dead, and it was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. And I want to talk to you about it today and over the next few weeks in person, but today I want to share this message with you because I know God wants to talk to you about that. Over the last two years, God's given me profound insight and I want to share it with you. You know, I want us to turn to the book of Ephesians today. We're going to be going over this series through the book of Ephesians. Now, you need to understand about the book of Ephesians a couple of things. Number one, it was written just after the church had started, not many years after, And it was written to non-Jewish people, remembering everything around Jesus, everything around uh, God, the God of the Bible, really concerned the Jews. The Jews had been told that they were the special race, they were God's chosen. And of course, the Ephesians Christians, they were in Turkey, uh, and they didn't understand that they too had been chosen. They didn't understand that they weren't second rate and they were actually part of God's chosen as well because of Jesus and because of the church. And so Paul tries to explain to them the benefits of being a Christian that they didn't understand and this new idea called the church. And he wanted them to get it and he wants us to get it as well. And so I want to read to you a passage out of the book of Ephesians, because I think six or seven times Paul refers to this mystery. Now, I've always glossed over those words and got to things that I understood. And over the last two years, I've been doing a deep dive in the book of Ephesians to understand what is this mystery that Paul is talking about. So we're going to read. Paul says this, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, Assuming, by the way, that you even know God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you, Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God Himself revealed this mysterious, notice mysterious, that's that word again, mysterian in Greek, this mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal this mysterion, this mystery, to previous generations. Nobody understood this. In fact, spiritual beings, principalities and powers had no idea. But now, 
by His Spirit, Paul says, it has been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. Listen to this. By God's grace and mighty power, I, Paul, have been given the privilege of serving Jesus by spreading this good news. And he goes on, though I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Jesus. It was I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious, mysterious being the Greek word, that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. So what is this mystery that God had kept secret from the beginning. Now, when the word mystery is used, when this word mysterion is used, it's used of this idea that it's unavailable knowledge to everybody whom God doesn't expressly reveal it to. It's not a mystery you can figure out by intellectual argument or rational thinking. It's a mystery that only God can reveal. It's like God allows some people access to His intelligence. Right? It's allow, it would be like you allowing an ant or an animal access to what you understand as a human being that's far beyond their ability to comprehend. They run by instinct, not by rational thought. And guess what? God runs by revelation, not just by rational thought. And so He opens the floodgates or He opens His treasury of understanding to those people He chooses to enlighten. Remember Peter? Peter was being asked along with the other disciples, who do men say that I am? Jesus asked them. Well, Jesus is about to, to release a bomb upon these guys of mystery that they didn't understand. They thought they were following a rabbi. And some said, well, you're the prophet. Some said, you're Jeremiah. Some said, you're Elijah. All these things. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter suddenly has a glimpse into God's intelligence and has a revelation of who Jesus is. And he says, oh, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's right. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. This mysterion, this mystery has been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. He just opened the treasury of heaven to let you in to see something you would have never seen and why people have never seen it because God decides who is excited and who is leaning in to understand. And then he goes, okay, wow, you want to learn? I'm going to open my treasury. Have a look at this. And I believe this series is about that. It's about God saying, who wants to lean in? Who wants to understand this mystery that Paul is writing about in the book of Ephesians? And I believe the Holy Spirit wants to open your mind, open your heart. And if you'll lean in to understand, God's going to blow you away with wh why He created the church. It's not what we think. The church wasn't created by 12 lonely men who were sad because their friend had gone away. So, hey, Jesus has gone away. Let's have meetings together. We need to support one another through this grief moment, uh, this trying moment. We're disturbed. We're discouraged. Let's meet together. And somehow we believe that that evolved into what we have today. 
you need to understand it was a plan by God before the foundation of the world to send Jesus to establish a mechanism by which non-Jewish people could receive grace, the same favor, the same outpouring of God's kindness could be received by every person who wasn't part of the chosen group, the chosen uh, a nation of Israel, that you and I could participate in all the extra favor, the extra blessing, and that blessing was not going to come to individuals only. It was to come through the church. So Jesus didn't just die for you. He died not just for your individual redemption. He, had, he died to create the mechanism called the church, the body of Christ, in order for non-Jewish people to get this mystery that God loves them and He, that they, and he loves them profoundly and that they are favored and blessed by God. Now, I want you to read these next couple of verses, and I want to explain what I just read to you. Paul writes on, and he says, God's purpose in all of this, right, in this mystery being held as a secret, was so he would use the church to display his manifold wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Nobody except God understood the power of the church. And he said, I did it this way through Jesus, giving his life, bloodied and brutalized and horrifically killed, not just to give your salvation to you, but to create the church to be the mechanism by which the embodiment of Jesus could be visible in the world today. And that's why we've got to revere it as the bride of Christ in a way we never have before. So who in the Bible uh, is the groom? Well, Jesus is the groom, and of course, the church is the bride. And God uses this metaphor all the way through Scripture. And how many know if you've ever been to a wedding, the bride is the center of the wedding? You know, I remember being in a wedding, and, uh, you know, really, as the groom, I should have got a lot more attention, but my wife got all the attention, all the effort, all the money, all the expense was on her. It was to make her look amazing. It was to make her look beautiful. Yeah, you wear this suit, Ashley, and get your groomsmen to wear some suits, but we're going to make the bride beautiful. The focus is on the bride. And what we see in the world is kind of a reverse. Our focus has been on the bridegroom. We're focused on Jesus, and we've kind of neglected the bride. We kind of tolerated the bride. We've kind of gone through this idea that like a bridesmaid, we're like a bad bridesmaid so often to the bride. You know, you think about it, a bridesmaid's job is to make the bride look beautiful. If the train or the veil is kind of uh, skewed or if it's uh, rumpled in some way, guess what? Their job is to straighten it out. Their job is to take care of the flowers. Their job is to make, is to preen the bride so the bride is magnificent and the center of attention. They're not walking on the dress of the bride. <clears throat> They're not tripping over the bride. They're not pushing the bride out of the way. They're not trying to take center stage. Why? Because the center stage of the wedding is the bride. This is how, uh, and yet so many Christians treat the bride in the way I just described. When in fact, we're meant to treat the bride of Christ, the church, in the way Jesus treated her and gave his life for her. I'm going to talk more about that, but I want you to get this. You see, 
uh, one day in the, the book of Revelation says it's all going to culminate in what God describes as the marriage supper of the Lamb. In other words, the bridegroom is going to marry the church and forever the church the individual believers that are gathered together in the church are going to be with Jesus forever in their ultimate wedding. The Bible talks about it, that all of history, our history, is going to culminate in that wedding. The wedding of the bride. Not the wedding of you or I, but the wedding of us to Jesus. It's such a spectacular heavenly event that it's going to be an epoch for all of history and all of time. Therefore, it's very, very important because remember what Jesus said, I'm going to present a bride without spot or wrinkle. So our job is to be the bridesmaid to the church and help the church be as beautiful as Jesus thinks she is and make her look incredible. And we're going to talk about this over the next, uh, the next few uh, Sundays. You know, the whole point of why the devil has gone after the church is because he wants to destroy God's capacity to bring grace to the earth and he wants to destroy everything that Jesus loves. The devil seeks to do that in so many ways. He's focused on separating Jesus from the church. I'm going to explain to you how that's impossible. But he's done that. You think about the common prevailing statement for many in the Christian world today is that I love Jesus I just don't like the church very much. Or, I love Jesus, but yeah, church, yeah, okay, I'll tolerate it. Or, yeah, it's important. But if you said to those people who don't go to church very often, who aren't committed to the bride, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Then why don't you love what Jesus loves the same way that Jesus loves it? Remember the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that Jesus loved the church so much that he gave his life. He was nailed to a cross to create the church. He loved her. And yet we're stumbling, we're throwing things at the bride, we're belting the bride around the head, we're accusing the bride of all kinds of things. The thing that is the center of Jesus' affection and is also the mechanism of God's capacity to get his love and presence to the world. And the devil has tried to divide that by getting us to love Jesus, but not love the church. You can't do it. It's an indivisible thing in so many ways. Let me read to you what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Ephesians 5 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound. But I'm not speaking about husbands and wives. I'm speaking about Jesus and the church. I'll talk more about this in the weeks to come, but we've thought that that passage is a, is a, 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 a theology about marriage. That passage is just an illustration about the theology of Jesus and the church. We'll dive into that more later on. Pray God's really speaking to you. Open your heart. I want to put inside of you a passion and a fire for the church. You see, I wasn't always a pastor. I worked in the Commonwealth Bank. I worked in a secular employment. I'm the guy. I don't say these things because I'm the pastor. I got the revelation about the church so strongly I became a pastor. Right? I'm like the guy that loved the product so much he bought the business. And I want to tell you something, 
I love the church so much, I decided to become a leader in that place, and God called me to do that, and I want to share that with you today. Listen to what the Bible says. It says in Ephesians 5, uh, 21, we just read this, but I want to read it to you again. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Think about that, one flesh. Then he says, hey, this mystery is profound. But I'm not talking about husbands and wives. I'm actually talking about Jesus and the church. Jesus and the church are one. They can't be separated you can't say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. That would mean you don't know Jesus very well. Because if you knew Jesus really well, you love what He loves. When you know Jesus, you want to do what He wants you to do, but you also want to love what He loves. And He loves the church because He gave Himself willingly to die on the cross for the church. Can you imagine... If after church and sometime later this year, Pastor Jane will be in Adelaide and, and uh, there'll be a time of the year where both of us are in Adelaide. Maybe I'm in Adelaide and Pastor Josh says, hey, um, I'd love you to come over for dinner. Shana and I want you to come for dinner. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. I'll tell Pastor Jane. And uh, what night do you want us to come over? And, and Pastor Josh uh, you know, suddenly goes quiet on the phone. And, and I said, what's wrong? Are you okay? And he goes, well, uh, actually, I don't know how to tell it to you, this to you, and, and really, this is really Shana's deep thoughts and hearts as well. We really like you. You know, you're just an amazing person. I said, yeah, thank you. And he's, yeah, you're just an incredible person. We just can't stand Pastor Jane. We just don't like her. We just think she, she's just a bad person. And so we love you to come for dinner, but not her. What do you think would happen at that point? Well, our friendship would be not only strained, it might just be a divorce at that point. Uh, that's between Josh and I, not between Jane and I. And the phone would go dead. Why? Because if you don't love my wife, how can you say you love me? And it's the same with the church. How can we say I love Jesus, but I don't love his wife? Come on. Logic tells us it's impossible because Jesus said, we are one. We are one. Ephesians 5 verse 25 says, Jesus loved the church, not Ashley Evans, the church so much that he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word to present himself as a radiant church, holy and blameless. Jesus loves the church and he died for her. I'm going to tell you something. I'll die for someone I love. I'm not going to die for someone I don't. Right? It's really how that works. And yet the devil has succeeded in getting us to think, well, church is optional, Jesus is essential. No, they're both essential because they're one. And I'm going to show you over the next couple of weeks why that's true. If the church does not become the ecclesia, the Greek word for gathering, then the presentation of Jesus to the world stops. The presence of Jesus is not available of course, God can work outside His system in random acts, but He chooses to make Himself present in the church, the presence of God in the church. That's why we're the embodiment of Jesus, not just this random body of pieces. We're the embodiment. It's like Jesus was here. And He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I 
am in the midst of them. Without that church, the presence of Jesus can't be felt in the way that he wants so the whole world may know who he is. So I want to talk to you about why don't we love the church like Jesus does? Well, it's because we have an erroneous view about how the church was started. Maybe we haven't been taught well or not taught at all. And we, we kind of have led ourselves to believe what I said before, which is that the church kind of evolved from 12 men who after Jesus died and rose again, just started to meet together and somehow that all became an association down the track. And now we have this church and uh, it somehow just all happened. No, it didn't happen. God had this mystery that was a mystery to everyone else except him, had a plan that Jesus would come and die to create the church. And that through the church, the grace, the favor, the kindness of God would be made available to every non-Jewish person on the planet. You see, there was no church in the Old Testament. Why is that? Because God spoke directly to Israel as a nation. But in order to get His grace outside of that circle to the whole world, He had to send Jesus to die to make it available to all of us. And so the church is God's mechanism to deliver God's goodness to the world. We need to understand that. Uh, Jesus came expressly to die for the creation of the church. Paul says it's a mystery. And God wants to reveal this mysteria, this mystery to you, because once you get it, you'll not only see church as an optional extra, you'll go, I've got to be there. Because without you here, the gathering isn't as potent. You're not going to find yourself growing like you should. You know, last year I decided to do an experiment. I'd hurt my back. I had three discs that were out and uh, somehow damaged. And so I couldn't sit down. So I decided that I wouldn't go to church until I could sit down. I was taking long service leave and, and I decided I'd normally be in church on long service leave. But because my back was so sore and I had to lie down or could stand up, it looked really silly for me to just stand in church the whole time, then I decided I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to see what it's like, seeing we've had COVID and all this kind of stuff and people have been online. I'm going to just do online church and I'm just not going to go to church for six or seven weeks till I can sit down. And so I did that, seeing if it would enhance my spiritual life, seeing if online church would meet my needs. You know what I discovered at the end of that seven weeks? I wasn't better spiritually. I wasn't on top spiritually. The truth is, the first couple of weeks, I watched the whole service. The third week, I started uh, going over to T.D. Jake's message and over to Elevation Church, and uh, I started jumping in and checking all these churches in five minutes. Then by the fourth week, I'm not listening to the worship. I'm just listening to half the word. And then, you know, then it just degenerates. And, and there are people that are better than me. But for me, after seven weeks, I wasn't better because church is not a virtual learning environment. Church is not even an in-person learning environment. Church is not just being taught. Church is the gathering of individual believers to create the power where Jesus is displayed in the midst of them so that people could find him, be healed, and be touched. It's like Jesus is here. That's why I found in my own life that God often speaks to me the easiest when I'm in church. 
Why? Because I'm not by myself trying to hear from God. We have everybody in church and they're creating an atmosphere that allows me to hear from God easily. Now listen to what Paul writes again. He says, God's purpose in all of this the creation of the church was to use the church to display God's wisdom. It's the church's job to display God's wisdom in all of its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. This was his eternal plan from the beginning. This was God's plan, not just a makeup, secondary, pull the ripcord kind of emergency plan. This was the plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the deal, right? I, I, I've, I've done this myself, and, and I apologize if I've ever given the wrong message. I've often said in my desire for people to get it, I've said, you know, you know Jesse, you're the church, and, and John, you're the church, and Bill, you're the church. The truth is, you are not the church. I am not the church. We are individual believers. Jesus came to die for us as individuals, but he also came to die to create the church. I am not the church. You are not the church. We together, assembled together, are the church. The authority of the church happens when we gather. And I'll explain more of this next time. But I want to just say to you that gathering is singularly the most important thing that needs to happen in order for the church to come into session. It's like the United Nations. There might be United Nations, but until the United Nations are in session, there are no decisions made. It's like the Cabinet of Australia. There are no decisions made of grand proportions until they're in session. When they're in session, like a board of a company, when the board are in session, they make decisions. You may be a board member, but you have no power. You just have status. That's the difference. God doesn't want us just to have status as an individual Christian. He wants us to have power as the gathering of the ecclesia. And I'll explain that more next week. You know, now it's true to say this, that the old days we've gone, uh, over the years we've gone from extreme to extreme. So 1,500 years ago, it was all about the church and there was no individuality. And in trying to correct that idea, uh, we've introduced in the 20th century particularly this individualism idea, it's kind of rampant across the world. It's all about you and everything revolves around you and you are the center of the universe and we've become addicted to the self-centeredness of the individual. And so we've swung the pendulum from all being about the church to all being about me. Let me just say it's all about both and you as a believer have rights. We as a church have the authority. It's a very, very different kind of thing, but God wants us to get both ideas. You are not the church, I'm not the church, but we are the church, and where we are, the presence of the Lord is in a powerful and a strong way. You see, Jesus didn't just come to die for you individually, He came to die for everybody, for the whole of mankind, but then to create the church. Listen to what Ephesians 1 says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him the head over all things. And we are, yeah, of course, Jesus is the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But I want you to read on to what Paul writes. He says, he's made him the head over all things for the benefit of John. No. For the benefit of, of Mary. No. Christ is the head of all things for the benefit of 
the church and the church is the embodiment of Jesus is what it says. So one of the reasons why we've allowed the devil to separate us is that we haven't been taught. We think have an erroneous idea of how the church came to be. When Jesus rose from the dead, the church began. Guess what? It was inaugurated and put into action on the day of Pentecost. Powerful. And it's changing the world ever since. And if we'll get it, we'll start to change the world. We'll understand. The truth is most people get introduced to Jesus through the church. Now God does random things where people can't make it to an ecclesia, to a gathering. But guess what? Most people who get saved got saved in a meeting somewhere when the church was meeting, a youth group meeting, a, a connect group meeting, whatever, the church on a Sunday morning. That's the place that displays the power of Jesus the most, right? The most consistently, the most often. That's how it works. Of course, God can do whatever He wants and He'll give dreams to people in foreign places that can't have access to, uh, to the gospel. He'll do all those kind of things. But it works this way because God made it that way. Second thing is we don't realize that the purpose of the authority given to Jesus is for the benefit of the church. I just said that scripture before. God's family is the church. It's God's wife. If you want to see Jesus, you will see him in the church. If you want to feel God's love, you'll feel it most in the church. Jesus himself said in Matthew 18, I tell you truly, if two of you will agree on anything you ask, it will be done by him for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three together, gather together, where two or three gather together in my name, there am I with them. We need to understand this. The church is the hope of the world. The church is the answer to the dilemmas in the world. The church is the place that displays God's authority over sickness, over poverty, over pain, over discouragement, and over every trouble. What does the church do for you? Let me tell you what it does for you. The church lifts you. The church grows you. The church protects you. The church encourages you. The church celebrates you. The church empowers you. The church frees you. The church challenges you. The church opens your mind to new possibilities for you. The church brings faith to you. It brings God's word to you. It creates a community of love for you. It rescues you. It shields you. It blesses you. It comforts you. It enables you. It corrects wrong thinking in you. It changes you. It offers a new path to you. It creates a legacy for your kids and you. It provides a haven for your family and you. The church releases the gifts of God inside of you. It guides you. It gives life to you. It releases the destiny in you. It lifts you. It matures you. It gives opportunity to you. It loves you. It cares for you. It enriches you. The church changes attitudes in you. The church releases you. The church brings truth to you. The church shows the meaning of life to you. It heals you. The church prays for you. It works for you. The church is critical to spiritual health and life in you. The church was created by Jesus for you. The church is God's vehicle of grace to you. And he wants you to understand why he made it. And he wants you to love it like Jesus loves it. You know, I remember getting married. Musicians can come. But I remember getting married to Pastor Jane. Pastor Jane is a beautiful, beautiful person inside and out. And I remember when we first got married she felt like there was part of her that was unattractive. And so she would always point it out. She'd say, this is not good, or I don't, I'm, this is you know, bad, or whatever it might be. And I'd get frustrated. I'd, go, I'd, go, I'd get really frustrated because I didn't like her pointing out 
these things that I didn't see as negative, but she did. Now, if I took a microscope view to it, if I, if I took a non-loving view to it, I might say, oh yeah, I agree, that doesn't look so great. But she's my wife. I love her. And I remember stopping her one day and said, Jane, do not ever do this again. Please don't. You see, when I married you, I married all of you. I married you for better, for worse. I married you whether you've got that issue or don't have that issue. I married you because I love you. I accept all of you. If you keep pointing out the faults, if you keep on meditating on the faults and causing me to focus on the faults, you're going you're gonna to drive my love away. Why? Because you're going to poison my love for you by focusing on what is a tiny little thing that I don't even notice, have never seen, don't care about because I love you. And so she stopped. I said, I accepted all of you. You see, you can always tell a person who loves the church, who's had a revelation of the mystery of the church. Because yes, there may be problems in the church. Yes, there may be challenges. Yes, people may fall off the rails. Yes, there may be all, some things that aren't perfect about the church. But when you love the church because you love Jesus, and you know Jesus loved the church, it's not like you sweep it under the carpet. But guess what you do? You don't diminish your love. You don't start to pick and point. You don't start to get cynical. You say, I'm going to be there. I'm going to build this church. I'm going to be like the bridesmaid that makes the church beautiful and the center of attention. And I want to say to you today, church, come on. It's our time to lift our sights. Let the mystery of the church open up to us so we see how God sees. We see how Jesus wants us to see. And today we're going to pray that God gives us an understanding that's greater than any understanding we've ever had about the church. It's not a place of convenience. It's a place to go that's essential, a place of conviction. It's a place we must be, we must build, we must nurture, we must grow, we must be for it if we're going to be like Jesus. And I know you do. And so today I want us to pray. Let's pray for the church worldwide. Let's pray for the church in persecuted countries. Let's pray for the church in the Ukraine. Let's pray for the church all over the world. Let's pray for influencers church. Let's pray for people that have not got the revelation of church. Let's pray right now. And then when we finish, the campus pastor is going to come up and share. But I want us to pray right now. And let's begin to bless the church. Whatever campus we're in, if we're in Mount Barker, if we're in the city, if we're in South, if we're in Salisbury, wherever we are this morning, if we're in Clare Valley or in Paradise, I want you to extend your hand as we pray. Father, we pray for the church today. We pray that its finest hours are before it, are in front of us, not behind us. We speak life into the church. We speak life into the church that we're a part of. We speak a life into the church all around the world. We pray for the church in the Ukraine. Lord, under great suffering, we pray for the church in the Middle East. Lord, under persecution, we pray, Almighty God, that you would help us love the church build the church, cause the church to prosper and to move ahead in the way that you designed it. You gave your life for it, Jesus, and we want to give our lives for it too. We want to give our soul, we want to give our energy, our time, our finances, everything to build what you built. And in loving you, Jesus, that way, we'll also love what you love and gave your life for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray this sermon has blessed you encouraged you and inspired you you know we may never have met i may not know you but god knows you and i'll tell you today god loves you that even before you knew about him he loved you 
and He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty for my mistakes and my past, and His life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did, and when you invite Him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what, maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace and the word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey. Why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you. And we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.